Welcome to the Movie Lab's 2030 Vision Series Fireside Chats with your host, Richard Berger. This podcast series includes in-depth, one-on-one interviews with some of the leading voices from across our industry. As we discuss the impact the 2030 Vision has had on their organization's strategies and how they are implementing some of the Vision's principles today. Hello, and welcome to the Movie Lab's 2030 Vision series, featuring fireside chats with leading media and entertainment voices from across our industry. My name is Richard Berger, and I'm the CEO of Movie Labs and your host. If you don't know already, Movie Labs is a nonprofit technology joint venture of the major motion picture studios Disney, Paramount, Sony Pictures, Universal, and Warner Brothers. Today, I'm talking with Simon Cronshaw, Worldwide Strategy Director, Media and Entertainment at Microsoft. Welcome to the Fireside Chat. Thank you, Rich. So, you're relatively new in this role. Can you give us a, a background history of sort of where you were before and how you got here, and then also a little bit more about what you're doing today? Sure. I came from a uh, studio world, but I actually started in parks and resorts, understanding more about where content was actually being created from. Uh, and from there, had a unique opportunity to, to spend more time um, in studio production, studio technology uh, with the Walt Disney Company um, in a variety of different roles. And from there, really just thinking about the future of, of what we may call civilized filmmaking, right? In the fact that, you know, how are we going to do this in a, in a more advanced way going forward, just given the, the workflows that exist? And from, from that standpoint on, um, through a variety of different projects, both as a consultant, sometimes uh, working with specific productions, uh, I was able and lucky enough to get the opportunity to go work for Microsoft. Uh, we had some specific engagements with the Walt Disney Company and Studio Lab specifically. And from there, um, I was afforded the, uh, the opportunity to kind of drive through some of the innovation that they were trying to drive and align that to the Movie Lab's vision. Um, and that's where my role has kind of come to fruition at Microsoft in terms of taking that vision forward in terms of the products and the services and the solutions that we're driving, not just for studios, but for all across media entertainment. Seems like a really good sort of history to be able to inform what you're doing today. Do you find that like that that's been super valuable in, in what you're doing now? I think it's been more than valuable. I think uh, through a combination of the different relationships that I've had, uh, the people that I've worked for, um, the technology that I've been lucky enough to, to be involved in. Um, uh, just a quick story in terms of where I came from. So when I thought and I heard about the Movie Lab position for the first time, you know, I was on uh, the ESPN lot in Bristol, Connecticut, um, and talking to them about you know, just different types of technology. And someone had said, hey, have you seen the Movie Lab's vision that came out? And I was aware uh, that it was being worked on through a combination of different relationships that I'd had, um, but had not seen it, how it was being written down. And obviously, I think uh, it was a unique time. People had said, hey, have you seen this? And I said, yeah, it's going to be great. I think it's a, a vision for the industry. Um, and it was also just interesting to see different applications because it was very studio driven, but to see other broadcasters also go, I think this is where it needs to go. Um, but bringing it back a little bit to my experience, you know, I've been in the trenches with, with organizations, right? And, and certainly with Disney, thinking about how to apply some of the, the, the aspirations and visions that the Movie Lab content has all up, right? In terms of taking it directly to the cloud, directly from, from the camera, thinking about the data and the ontology. How does those things service the, the, the content supply chain and the distribution of that content? So I think it's a unique perspective, um, but it's certainly a perspective that's being based on reality of what I've seen and what I've been part of. Yeah, we, we've been talking to so many companies at, at Movie Labs about the 2030 vision, and we're seeing really good alignment. 
And, um, and we think that's, that's super important because we're, we're not trying to just make a small change here. We're really, we're really trying to change the industry. What does alignment mean to you at, at Microsoft that the industry is coming together around this? Well, first I'll say this. I think uh, there's a expectation that certainly for cloud providers to think that it's uh, a 2025 vision, not a 2030 vision. That I think they'd like to accelerate faster where they possibly could, right? That would make sense given the fact that you want to have more content in the cloud as quickly as you possibly can. The practical reality is it's not, it's not going to happen that quickly. And so the, the vision that we have um, together from a movie lab's perspective is certainly shared with inside Microsoft and the engineering core that we have. Um, and I think you're seeing a broader adoption of that vision, not just across media and entertainment, um, but for other industries as well. One of the things I wanted to ask, you know, as we, as we sort of look at the, this move to the cloud, and obviously you're a cloud provider, so you're providing infrastructure, storage, compute, where do you see Microsoft's role in enabling the 2030 vision? Is it as an infrastructure provider, or do you think you're going to, you know, provide other services, kind of sort of climb up the stack, if you will, to, to lean more into the, you know, media creation parts? There's, it's an interesting question, and I say that for a few reasons. Um, I think there's an expectation from a Microsoft perspective, right? Um, yeah. Where are you? Uh, what are you doing, and how are you helping, and where are you leaning in? Uh, we get that from customers and partners all the time. I think there's certainly um, an expectation uh, inside Microsoft that we also go well beyond just being that, you know, that platform from an infrastructure perspective that we can provide this cloud-based infrastructure that maybe has some native services around automation and artificial intelligence. But the reality is very different. When you sit and talk to customers, the first thing they want is, well, we'd like you to hold our hand as we go through this process with us, right? We, we want you to make sure that uh, we've got a strategic partner that's going to be there every step of the way, right? This is new for so us. Not really a vendor relationship, more of a partnership. Exactly right. right. I think uh, everyone is a little bit different. Um, if you've been around media and entertainment long enough, you know there's no one size fits all. We've talked about that in the yeah, past. Yeah. And um, I think it's, it's understanding how do you right size that and how do you make sure you're leaning in at the right time, um, whether that's providing resources or technical expertise or thinking through security architecture, whatever it might be. That's the expectation that I think our customers have on us, which is you're supposed to be the experts here. Help us figure this out. Make sure that we can bring that trust back to our executives and tell our C-suite that we're doing the right things in the right way. And I think there's also an element for all cloud providers to think through what I would classify as total cost of ownership. Um, how do you solve those cloud economics, right? Where I think, I think there's an expectation on Microsoft and others, right, to go, well, yeah, you're going to say you're going to put it in the cloud, but what are you going to make it? How are you going to make it worthwhile for me? Um, and I think that's a little bit of, of the work that we do with our customers today, which is to think through all of those and services that we can provide in the cloud that speed things up from an automation perspective as well. But those are unique services that most of our customers and studios today haven't really thought through. And so they need us to, have, to be there with them. Do you find it difficult to answer that question, the total cost of ownership? And comparing on-prem versus... Well, on-prem, I think, has always been a challenge, right? Because you could say other cloud providers are our competition, but on-prem is also one as well, right? Well, we define cloud as private cloud, public yeah. cloud, and any combination thereof. So I think, I think sometimes the total cost of ownership question does become hard because there are not enough examples of end-to-end -end workflows in the cloud to demonstrate what it really is. Um, I think we've got maybe one or two years of now seeing what that yeah. looks like. Yeah. But sometimes for certain stakeholders in certain organizations, that, that's not enough. Um, and so therefore, but it's, it's, it's certainly not reflective of 
the 2030 vision. And so right. we're starting to see some parts of the workflow moving to the cloud, editorial, other, other things like that. And we should talk about some of the projects yeah. where you're making progress with your customers and partners. I'd love to hear some examples. And I think if, when you do that, be good to start to look at, well, what are the benefits? Are they, are they measurable? Right. And maybe some things are measurable right away and maybe other things you sort of need more of the workflow to be in there to start to realize some of the principles that we that we talked about and, and fundamentally moving something to the cloud and then taking it out and shipping it to somewhere else and then, you know, putting it up into the cloud again and taking it out and shipping it. That's not what we're talking about here. Right. We're talking about I mean, principles one and two say all assets move straight to the cloud and they need not move. And then applications come to the media. And now you're really taking advantage of this platform, this, this new environment where we can start to see some efficiencies. So can you talk about some projects where you're starting to actually realize some of these principles, even if it's not the whole workflow, but just some, some aspects? Yeah, we've got a variety of projects that we're working on um, and in, in a few different spaces across the media entertainment workflow. Mm -hmm. I think... Um, yeah, we're working with Universal and DreamWorks, um, clearly, um, on, a, on a wonderful uh, sort of service around the platform for open collaboration. As we think through the, the way that you know, pre-production, production, and post-production, all of those assets that are getting created. And you talk about taking that content directly from the camera into the cloud and keeping that content in the cloud for as long as you possibly can. You and I referenced cloud economics in the past. And you know, if I simply have to put it in the cloud to bring it back down again, that's not going to provide the value that I think it really needs to provide. The content should live in the cloud. And you talked about bringing those applications to the content. That's exactly what should happen. Um, the goal should be to think through how do we right-size those workflows and those workflows to become connected environments and those connected environments to become connected ecosystems essentially around that piece, that piece of content. Um, so the work at Universal and DreamWorks is interesting, primarily because we're taking existing platforms that will drive their content today adding that to it from a native Azure service perspective to kind of augment that with, you know, your artificial intelligence and your ability to store content and blob storage and so on, and then connect it to other workflows through a transformation layer that enables other partners to come from an editorial perspective and do that in real time across geographies, potentially even burst from a rendering capacity through different render farms through virtual machines to enable those things to happen. And for that content to be created almost in a seamless way back to the studio and to see that because one of the principles about Movie Labs is real-time feedback, right? And so to enable that to be done, not just in a dailies perspective, but almost like it's uh, right there and then, right? Yeah, every exactly. step. Yeah. yeah, every step of the way. Yeah, one thing you were touching on in the example with uh, Universal and DreamWorks projects, um, this exchange and the ability to bring in other vendor partners and so forth um, with some more commonality speaks to interoperability a bit, which is a, it's a huge focus for us and something that um, really the 2030 vision is built on top of. Um, what does interoperability mean to you guys and where are you focusing? Oh, it's one of my favorite terms. <laughs> I gotta be honest. I think um, from a Microsoft perspective, it's thinking about common ontologies. It's thinking about how to use standardized frameworks uh, thinking about how to use transformation or interchange layers to, to kind of almost break that, right? Where I know I'm always going to have maybe additional metadata that anybody else is going to have, but I need to pass it through and make sure that it connects on the other end. So from us, um, I think we take it very carefully um, in terms of how we think about it. Um, and I, I also think we take it pretty seriously, right? I, I think there's, 
the way that we develop from an engineering perspective, um, you know, we realize that you know, customers have a lot of choices in the way that they actually build things. And sometimes you're going to have very different creative choices. And so sometimes if I want all that stuff to live in the Microsoft Cloud, for example, then I better have the, better, the best interoperability between a lot of these partners who are going to be fundamental to those workflows. Yeah, because I mean, it's not even totally the studio's choice where things live. I mean, you can't necessarily force everything to one cloud even. There's you know multiple services that might have their own cloud environments and um, and so it has to feel like one cloud I think that that's important and so you know you mentioned ontology we published uh, the ontology for media creation last year can you talk to how uh, you guys are looking at using the the ontology that that we uh, published last year so it's interesting um, how it's manifesting itself across the board um, we talk about media entertainment and we obviously focus a lot on studios but I would say that broadly it's interesting to see groups that I would have, have not spent a ton of time in my career with, you know, advertising agencies and others. But what you're seeing is people look at it and go, yes, you're right. We're all creating assets. You know, maybe some, is, some of it is short form, some of it's long form. Yeah. Um, are we watching movies the same way we were 20 years ago? No, we're not. But that content needs that common ontology, right, as we bring it all together. The standards are, are now driving some of the, the 3D type content, like USD, for example. Um, and we're seeing the need for that as assets get created. And if I think about studio workflows, yes, absolutely looking at that with the Universal and Dreamers to try and understand if we're really going to create this you know, master content management service and what does that look like? And how do we think about how that's all going to come together as a connected workflow that not just feeds those assets for reuse and storage and archive, but also feeds distribution down the line. I'm going to need to know what that common ontology is going to look like and to have a standard around it. But it's not, uni- it's not universally just only for, for studios, right? I'm seeing broadcasters use it. I'm seeing advertisers use it in terms of the content they're creating. And across the board at Microsoft, that common ontology is becoming fundamentally important because it helps in the integration, helps the connection around... Those interchange points. Exactly is where right. We're really looking Those at. APIs and everything else no. that need to be there, which also creates obviously security things as well that go with it. But it's, it, it's and. And for those who aren't that familiar with the ontology, but the, the idea is to enable better, not just human-to-human communication, but the machine-to-machine That's right. communication. Because there's no real room for interpretation there when you're automating. That's right. And so we, 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 I think for, for one of the things that we miss sometimes is we think, oh, we can build it. So if we can build it, it'll actually work. we got to remember how to maintain it. So if we don't have a common ontology around these pieces, fundamentally you're going to make changes over time, especially with a, um, a software-defined approach to, the, to these processes. You're going to be tweaking them all the time. So you want to have a process that is defined around a structure that isn't going to break every time you do something. Mm-hmm. Um, because ultimately you're going to take down studio processes and you're going to have delays. So it's, it's not just thinking about how can I build it or when can I build it, how am I going to, it and how am I going to maintain it. Yeah, operate. Yeah. So um, when it comes to security and you're talking to your customers and other partners, what's the, what's the general thinking? Is the cloud secure? Let me put your mind at rest, Rich. <laughs> uh, uh, the cloud is secure. I think uh, it's probably more secure than any uh, hard drive um, laptop that you've ever found. Um, I think it's the implementation uh, of how the security protocols are actually done um, or coordinated within a certain customer's tenant uh, that kind of needs to be refined a little bit. That's where our support from a CSAP perspective and helping those organizations understand fundamentally uh, the right way to implement those security protocols uh, is really, really key. Um, I mean, you saw certain industries take a long time to get there. 
even finance and banking took a little while to get on the board with the cloud in terms of where they're going. They're now moving much more quickly than they ever were before. And they're doing real-time transactions millions in every second, right? And so I think from, from my standpoint, um, one of the things I have come to rely on more than anything else from the cloud is that I'm taking a proactive approach to cybersecurity all up. I'm taking it from beyond the perimeter to every workflow, zero trust framework, and I'm realizing those benefits all up in the fact that I'm losing less content, it's more secure than it's ever been, uh, and we're helping our customers really drive that from a, from a foundational perspective, from a documentation perspective, and an on-the-ground on the support process perspective. Great. Well, we're really looking forward to working with you more on implementation guides for CSAP to help everyone get there. Yeah, that's it. That's the goal. We put things out, I think, just recently, and we'll continue to drive out those messages as we learn more and do so on a, on a probably pretty frequent basis because security is always changing. Yeah. I think you're only as, as good as your last you know, threat, right? And so we want to make sure that we're on top of that. When we think about this new paradigm and this new model, like what do you, what do you think changes by having cloud throughout the whole, that whole life cycle? Like, and, and in particular, like when you think about archive, really think about it differently. How, is that something you guys are involved in at this point? Are you I, seeing people starting to think about that? I think uh, the nature of like an active archive, um, you know, we talked a little bit about how I would use or index content and use machine learning to find it yeah. uh, and so on. Um, the cloud creates economies of scale that just don't exist from an on-prem world, right? And the fact that I can now connect things together in a way that I never have been able to do before. Um, I think all the way through the life cycle of the, the content creation piece, I think you've got multiple stakeholders who want access to that content. They want to know whether it's the ProRes file or the proxy file and whether I use it and who's using it and who's, who's editing it, whatever else it might be. Um, you know, in the past, right, we'd have a ton of LTO tape just sitting around everywhere. And you do see a lot of organizations now struggling to figure out how to monetize that archive. Is it worth going through it all? Where am I going to, what am I going to do with it? Because that's not a five minute process either. That's mm -hmm. a year's long process to kind of figure out what to do with that. Um, and I think if you're, if you're honest, you want to reduce egress costs as much as you possibly can. So, you know, I, I know others across the movie labs team have discussed, like, can I separate the content from the metadata? So I don't have to all of a sudden just download the content to find out how long something was or that, or that nature or who was in it or how, ref, how, how accurate is the metadata, for example. Um, but I, I fundamentally see the cloud as a driving force, right, in terms of how content creation will happen in the future. We agree that the cloud is key to this future vision yeah. that, we, that we have. I think the first five principles of the 10 principles are foundational cloud-based principles. Um, so I guess the question is, do you, do you think that what are the barriers that remain today, um, you know, that we have to get over in order to... to accelerate the path into, into the cloud? Well, I think um, it's interesting. I think we've definitely moved from it being a nice to have to a, you know, a strategic imperative in terms of how that's, you know, how that's shifted from a cloud workflow perspective. I think that's, that's definitely true. Um, I still think um, you know, we've, we've got some eco economic concerns, right? In terms of I'm creating a lot of content, media actually, those files are huge. And so therefore, I really don't know exactly what this is going to look like from a cost perspective versus on-prem. I know exactly what I'm paying month after month, right? So that's, that's a challenge. Um, so it's I, understanding the, the cost, yeah. demonstrating the benefits as yeah. well. I mean, I would think that's starting to get easier, though, because I think one of the things that we like to think about, um, and maybe we don't measure this, but maybe we should all start measuring this, 
time is really our currency and we talk a lot about efficiency. So, you know, when you're not waiting for a data transfer, you know, however long that might take for some of these big files and you're not looking for something because it's already available um, or you know how to find it. Um, we should start quantifying that. Have you guys started to do any of those? Um, we know, have. We've, those metrics? Or? We've realized that the cloud, especially from a workflow perspective, reduces that amount of time, almost 60 to 70%, right, um, from the analysis that we've done. We take that from specific workflows where we're watching, you know, whether it be short-form content or long-form content be developed through the cloud. Um, you even look at the time for down to milliseconds around live editorial in terms of how the cloud can support that. Um, so we definitely look at that. I, I would agree with you. From a Microsoft standpoint, whether we classify that as modern work or the way that we need to value our time differently, or I'm now having to create twice as much content in the same amount of time, then clearly I need to accelerate and do things differently because I only have the same number of creative people working on those assets. So I, I will say um, you know, another barrier is also just the creatives themselves. I think... Um, you know, you're teaching them to do things in a fundamentally different way than they've ever done before, whether through virtual machines or making sure they've got the right performance or the right latency. And so, you know, the pandemic demonstrated that we could do it, but I they're want ex- my hard drive. But right I want it right me. here, right? <laughs> or I want to sit it under my yeah. desk, and it better yeah. work the same way. So, yeah. so there's a change management. Aspect. Exactly right. I would say it's an adoption challenge, um, and it's not because they don't think it can be done. It's almost like historically, this is how I've always done it, and now just prove it to me that you can do it. And that, to me, is where Microsoft can, has, has and is willing to step in and say, look, let's invest here to show you that we can do it. It's going to work for you. We'll be with you every step of the way and demonstrate the, the, the things that, you, that you've never had before. Um, Microsoft is very heavily focused on trying to solve the connected pieces that come together to drive all of this in the cloud as much as humanly possible. Um, and that makes sense, right? Because we're a cloud-based company. We want to do that. Um, our goal is to get everything in the cloud if we possibly can. The practical reality is it may be 80, 20, 70, 30, whatever else it might be. but And some hybrids in yeah. there. Yeah, for sure. So um, before we wrap up, is there one thing that you would want viewers to take away from sort of understanding and realizing this 2030 vision? Like what's sort of the, the key thing? And then if there's any anything that you might suggest to help people prepare uh, for this future, what, what, do you, what do you think? So I think there's a few. Um, I think um, from, a, from a purely industry perspective, I think um, there's still a lot of concerns, right? I think uh, in terms of how is it going to be applied? Where is it going to be available for me? Do I have the right partners working with me? And how do I make those choices and things of that nature? I'd love to see a simplification. I'd love to see us think about the fact that the, the reality is it's going to be multi-cloud in many cases. And how do I simplify maybe an aggregation layer that lives above all of the different clouds, right? In terms and so of so you don't care where it resides. It well, just I think works. I think there's I think there's a point where all of the cloud providers are benefiting each other by driving that content to the cloud. Um, and are there going to be instances where one's going to live in one cloud and maybe this workflow is another? It's going to happen. That that's the reality. And you can only influence so many people across this industry to make those changes. Um, I have to say, I think for me. I'll come back to the fact that I'm very optimistic about where the vision is going. It's the right vision. When I first read it in 2019, I was excited, right? It was the first time that someone had kind of laid out a vision for where the industry needed to go. Uh, Is it going to evolve and change based on the learnings that we have over the course of the next 10 years? Yes, it is, right? We're still double-clicking on these principles to say, well, what what does this look like? You know, we we have a 
we did that with security. We we did that with software-defined workflows. We're doing that with interoperability now. So that, that's kind of... Yeah, I mean, I think it comes back to simplification. I think it comes back to transparency. Mm -hmm. I think around sharing the data, the learnings together about what we're seeing and how to do things better. Let's enable our partners to think through things differently. Let's demonstrate what can actually occur. I think for the business leaders out there that are thinking through, well, should I go fully native in the cloud or not? I think the time is now to do it. Um, those workflows exist. We can make them happen. The cloud infrastructure has never been stronger than it is today, and it's certainly becoming more robust every minute with the little money that we spend on it, certainly from a security standpoint. And for me, I, I'm, I'm excited about the fact that we can now create amazing experiences, you know, especially with the way that content's now going to be created uh, in ways that we've never seen before, and take it well beyond just a studio infrastructure to the rest of the world. And I think the cloud is going to be fundamental in how we deliver that. And I think for, for those folks who are kind of hedging their bets a little bit, the future is the cloud. Um, and not only from a creation perspective, but from a sustainability perspective, we're going to have to do things differently in the future. We've got momentum now. We're moving towards this vision and we want to help accelerate that. So we really thank you guys for, for all of your support and uh, with the vision. And, and, and thank you specifically for joining us today and, uh, and sharing some thoughts. I really appreciate it. It was uh, my pleasure. I think um, it's exciting to support Movie Labs, and I think it's exciting for where the industry's going. Um, and I think we'll continue to push forward in partnership with yourselves and demonstrate and showcase what we've done to help support the vision that you have. Great. Thank you for listening. For more information about Movie Labs and the 2030 vision, visit www.movielabs.com. Also, please subscribe and leave a review wherever you get your favorite podcasts. You can find videos of our fireside chats on our website and on YouTube.